The writer Edward Abbey once wrote, The desert wears a veil of mystery. Motionless and silent, it evokes in us an elusive hint of something unknown, unknowable, about to be revealed. Well, my guest today may reside in the desert, but what gets revealed to her amidst all that motionless silence is some of the most beautiful music you've ever heard. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. That is the wondrous music of my guest today on the program, Laura Samoji. Let me tell you a little bit about Laura Samoji. The Hawaii-born, New York-raised, and London Royal Academy of Music-educated Laura Samoji is one of the most gifted harpists on the planet. A traditionalist and a modernist, Samoji is an inventive instrumentalist who isn't afraid of exploring new creative possibilities for her instrument. As a composer, Samoji has experimented with blending electronica and pedal effects with the harp, and the results have yielded the boldest and most dynamic sonic leaps in the history of the instrument. The fact is, she has single-handedly recontextualized the harp, whose last great leap forward was probably during the Middle Ages or the Renaissance, when its popularity led it to evolve into several different iterations. Meanwhile, Samoji has emerged in recent years as the most in-demand session harpist around. She's not only recorded for movies like The Lion King and Coming to America 2, and television shows like Bridgerton and Little Fires Everywhere, she's also played with John Legend, Kelly Clarkson, Ariana Grande, Josh Groban, and Rufus Wainwright. Awarded an honorary associate of the Royal Academy of Music for her contributions to her field, Samoji's latest effort is an expanded edition of her exclamation mark album. That's right. The title of the album is just a single blast of punctuation, which is actually perfect because it's a very singular album. Redolent with thrilling textures and virtuoso playing, exclamation mark is a stirring blend of sweeping soundscapes, moving crescendos, and poetic subtlety. It's just gorgeous work. Laura is a thoughtful and fascinating musical practitioner and... She also happens to be an incredibly nice person. You're going to love her.
outside of LA. I'm in the desert. Um, I was in LA for a long time, but um, recently uh, built a studio out in the desert and just go in for for playing or work or you know every once in a while. I'm just like hour and a half, two hours outside. So um, yeah, Joshua Tree. How does oh you're in Joshua Tree? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. How does the for someone who has Hawaiian Hawaiian roots, um, how does the desert square with like the lack of water? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I grew up in Kauai, but um, but I don't have Hawaiian roots um, per se, but I, because I grew up there, I have Hungarian roots, but um, my, um, yeah, I had my whole childhood in Hawaii. And I think that, I think that's what the, de why the desert um, was so appealing to me is like the wide open spaces, the nature, um, but yeah, very different in terms of ocean versus desert. So, yeah. um, but I think that was what was really appealing to me. It was just like the getting back to, to, you know, that expanse and that, that nature. Um, but yeah. What about you? How's the Bay area? It's gorgeous up there. You know, it's, it's beautiful and expensive. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's, that should be on our license plates. I think. Um, yeah. It's, have you spent much time up here? Just a little bit. I'd love to spend more. It's so beautiful. Um, I went up there for a few performances. And then um, also there's this amazing um, uh, West Coast pedal boards. They're in a company that makes custom pedal boards. So I went up there just north of the city and um, got a custom pedal board done. And they do extraordinary work, um, you know, making different types of configurations of the sound that you want. And But it's gorgeous up there. Absolutely. Are you from there originally? I am. I'm a, I'm a local. So nice. yeah. And this is my, my ignorance is, is a pedal board. What is a pedal board? I'm so embarrassed. Oh, sure. Oh no, I'm sorry. I should have yeah. uh, elaborated. It's um a, a board of various sonic tools. Um, in this case, uh, guitar effects pedals. So like um, delays, reverbs, um, distortion, loop pedals, things that you can attach to your instrument to, uh, and you know, guitars, but in my case, a harp um, that will sort of shift the sounds around um, on an electric or an acoustic instrument. So um, yeah, the, the guy up there, his name is Spencer. He's awesome. And they're just north of you and um, do beautiful, beautiful custom boards where you can change the order and they can route the different electrical signals to how you prefer to to play or to how you have want to order your sounds if that makes sense that's so cool and is that something that you can actually like that sort of gets attached to the harp yes exactly so just like with the guitar you have this like cable and you can um attach it versus uh you know just sort of input it to the harp I have a harp here there <laughs> there's like oh, yeah. little, um like quarter inch jacks that you can just attach the electrical signal into and um yeah, it can do its thing, which is really, really magical. So. Are there a lot of people who are doing, because I start thinking about that movie, It Might Get Loud with The Edge and Jack White and Jimmy Page talking about guitar. Yeah. And I remember at the time thinking like, oh, I don't think The Edge is as good as those guys. And then I realized he actually, he is doing exactly what you're saying, where nobody sounds like him. He's doing these really innovative things with technology. And he's mm -hmm. cultivated that sound where you hear it, you know it's him, no one else does it. Are there other people who do sonic innovations on the harp like you're doing? Yeah, well, you know, it's a really cool time right now because I feel like there's there's quite a fun um, 
uh, renaissance of, of exploration on the instrument, which I'm so excited by and proud of to see lots of other uh, players as well in different capacities. You know, everyone has their own sounds, their own specific ways of um, approaching sonic exploration on this instrument, which is so ancient that, you know, for a long time, it was just what's written for the harp is what you play on the harp. But it's really exciting to see a lot of different uh, voices come out in terms of maybe it's just a reverb maybe it's just singing with the harp maybe it's you know that there's a lot of um I, I'm excited to see this like sort of movement of of um different types of people coming and expressing on the instrument and how it should be explored so I'm I definitely think there's I think we all are very different but in a way all just exploring which is fantastic is Joanna Newsom somebody who's doing that as well with Yes. Yes, she was she was absolutely um a pioneer with with bringing the harp to the forefront in a lot of different ways, you know, of course with her beautiful vocals and um yeah. and so she was definitely using the harp in, in an innovative and um different way than traditionally when it's, you know, in the orchestra or in, you know things like that. So she definitely paved a path for a lot of us. So my feeling about you is that your when people are, when people need the services of what you do, you're the first person that comes to mind. I'm looking at your resume and I'm going, God, this is like an amazing, oh. people would kill to have 4% of your resume. Oh. It's incredible. Oh my gosh. No, no, no. That's too kind. Um, I just feel very lucky to be able to, to play this insanely luscious and vast instrument that allows for so much creative leeway in my opinion like I feel like there's just so much you can do on it that I, yeah. I feel very grateful to be able to play it and if people want to you know have me play I'm always extremely grateful of all the instruments there are some that just aren't that portable in the sense like I'm going to go to a cafe and sit outside and noodle on my guitar like you can't really <laughs> bring the harp so um did, just I guess like a piano player or a stand-up bass player might have the same issue did the does the lack of portability affect the writing process where you can't always be on the instrument that is such a good question you know i there's definitely a lack of portability with the instrument and <laughs> and i think that um you, your life sort of if you're a harpist really does center around how we can get it places and how we can transport it. And um, I'm very grateful and lucky to have a studio at home. Um, I have a separate studio building that we built out here just to be able to record from. So it would be easier to, uh, rather than taking it every day into different studios, which I still do as well. But um, but sometimes, you know, just like any other musician, I feel like you can write away from your instrument if things pop into your head and things. But I feel very connected to my instrument in the way that I really love just sitting down and letting anything kind of flow. Um, much like I would, I'm interested in the same with you, like for writing, does that kind of just, do you, do you just go about your day and the inspiration comes or do you sit down and have the pen and paper and that's when everything comes? Do you I think that's when it eludes me the most. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You mean like eludes you, like doesn't come. Yeah. That's yeah, like, <laughs> that's almost guaranteed to be a mess. Got it. Um, wow, that's interesting. That's why I've always been really reluctant to do like a writer's retreat because I know that I would go there for a week and come up with nothing. Ah, right. Wow. Yes. It's almost like it has to tap you on the shoulder. Do you feel that way too? Or, or can you be very like workmanlike about it and say, I'm going to sit down now and compose? 
Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think a little bit of both, but I would say for the majority, I might be opposite of you where like, I, I definitely sit down and it more so is like, I let my fingers and my body take over, not necessarily my mind. So it's almost like a meditation I've found lately where, you know, you're just sitting at the instrument and maybe it sounds horrible, but something is coming and then eventually you just, hours go by and I've hit record and maybe there's something, maybe there's not, but it just kind of goes through me and there's, um, yeah, not much thinking involved, which I, maybe I should change, but it, it just more so I feel is very physical and um, in that nature, you know, gestural, pattern-based, um, that's the way it kind of flows for me. And then also I find a lot of inspiration from outside things when I sit down, like the pedals that we were talking about earlier, like sometimes you can turn one of those on and something will you know, algorithmically come about like on a glitch pedal or a reverb and that'll spark something in my fingers and it'll just take from there. Um, so it depends. And you're saying like maybe maybe something happens, maybe something doesn't, but for yeah. young listeners out there, young artists of any kind, the maybe nothing happened is still something. Yes. Right? Yes. There is never, in my opinion, something that is nothing like it's always going to form something else or even just be a moment in time creatively that maybe you learn from or can grow from the next time you sit down um so there's always something that can can evolve from being in in a creative space i i think i, I never i'm with you yeah i don't I think it's a wasted moment of creativity like i feel like it's there it's all there for something you know it doesn't feel great to walk away with nothing. Right. <laughs> but it feels good to at least have that done. That's true. That's true. It's over. That's a good point. That's good. Right? Yeah. But sometimes maybe it's not nothing. Maybe it's nothing in the moment, but maybe maybe something later, you know, or maybe yeah. it's not, maybe it's not palpable, you know, in that very second, but it's it's kind of like maybe it silently built or led you somewhere else creatively. That's exactly right. When you are, when you're composing, when you're, when you're on your instrument, do you feel like the artistic version of you versus the daily version, the quotidian version of you, daily life, does that feel like two different people? Because for me, it does. It feels like totally two separate people. Wow. That's an interesting question. That's it. Yeah. That's cool to hear that you feel like it's two separate. Cause I guess, I guess, yes, yes. Um, because again, I kind of feel like it's, it doesn't, I'm not really thinking it, 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 the, the, the artistic or the, the, the writer in, in me musically again, comes from somewhere here, not necessarily like, like you said, the quotidian, quotidian version of myself. Yeah, I guess that's a really, really interesting way to, to think about it. I, I never thought of it that way, but I definitely agree with you. Um, do you feel like it's like an alter ego for you or do you feel? I feel like I'm kind of an idiot in real life. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like when I'm writing, I'm not. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure that's not true because you're a <laughs> renowned writer and professor and all these other incredible accolades. So I'm sure you're not. <laughs> uh, but it's like, you know, I, I, I got to sort of like, um, why is a vacuum cleaner not working? You know, I feel like mm -hmm. I feel like I'm better at solving problems on the page than I am mm -hmm. in solving problems in real life. Ah, I could I could identify with that as well. Yeah. 
that yeah that means that you're you're just a creative soul that's where your 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 energy lies that's wow that's really I agree with you definitely yeah definitely it's you know you're like being a writer is a solitary thing being an artist of any kind is a solitary thing but you also are someone who collaborates a great deal um do you consider yourself to be because your resume indicates that you're a very good collaborator do you do you like collaborating with people and do you find that when you're leaving the space of being yourself on your instrument experimenting around versus you know communicating ideas to other people um those are two different muscles Mm, yes Yes, I do think that actually that's a very another good question. Um, I think, yeah, when you're alone, you really, you can sit with yourself in ways that you can't sit with yourself when you're collaborating with other people, which can be good and bad, you know, of course, if you're going to a spiral, but I think working with others um, can also be magic. Both can equally be, I think, very uh, magical in their own right. And um in how you approach creativity. I think uh, for me, at least I, I love both very, very much. I find a lot of inspiration in collaborating with others and working with others because, um, you know, just like you said, there's, there's different ways that people express themselves creatively that is different than yours and um, putting them together and really um, having that, that synergy of, of, creative ideas and flow can create something that maybe necessarily you wouldn't have just by yourself um or it could maybe be something here but then with you know sorry for listeners I'm (laughs) gesturing to the abyss (laughs) Um, you have something here but then with with someone else's you know mind and flow and um artistry as well you could then grow it maybe into something else over here Mm -hmm. um so yeah, it's definitely two separate minds, but it's equally as, as magic. And um, I really feel so lucky to be able to do both and um, really value and um, am honored to to work with other creative minds. And I feel really, really, really lucky and privileged to be able to witness other people's creativity as well and learn from it or, um, you know, absorb, you know, anything I can and just, again, sort of learn everything I can from from others because everybody has their own really, really special voice that I, I absolutely love. Well, like I remember I was talking to Paul Carrick a couple of years ago. He sang for Squeeze, um, awesome. that song Tempted. He's most famous for Tempted by the Fruit Amazing. of Another, right? Yeah. He had a great solo career, great singer. And I didn't know he played on the first Smiths album. And I asked him, oh, what were the Smiths like? And he was like, I never actually met them. I just did the thing and, and did it. Um, for people that you work with, uh, your work has appeared with like, say, Ariana Grande or say, um, Lauren Hill. Is there any interaction with those people or sometimes there is not? Depends on the the collaboration. So for Ariana Grande, it was, we had music, we had an orchestra. She came in and was extremely gracious and, and kind. And we played together, recorded together as an ensemble. So there was no inner, you know, sort of individual interact other than just waves and extreme kindness. But for someone like uh, Miss Lauren Hill, oh, that was unbelievably also uh, really, I'm so honored to have worked with her. Um, I did a few times where I would record um, a little bit of her um, harp arpeggio for her song Superstar. I believe it was that that I think is still playing on her tour. Um, and then I did a live show with her for um, at the Hollywood Bowl in LA. And 
that was so extremely magical because she um it was a little bit more intimate where like we were part of the ensemble she was sort of integrated with with us all it wasn't like um you know uh just backing you know we were just accompanying her but it was really special because she was able to say oh you know harp add here you know or or do something here and then I was so extremely um grateful to be able to improvise different things to her song and you know and and really have a little bit more of an interaction um and she is such an inspiration and creative force that it is I mean it's like overwhelming you, you see her and you're just struck by the genius that um comes from her her like just what she admits and her creativity and her artistry is unreal. I think I wrote Ariana Grande off early, unfairly, and I mm -hmm. reappraised her work and I thought, she's really kind of phenomenal. Um, Definitely. You know, Definitely. how vocally, is she just ridiculously impressive? Oh man, it was insane. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I was like, yeah, jaw on the floor, kind of. Um, she waltzed in just an ethereal being being like this is my dream to have you know orchestras I feel like a princess like she was very much how you'd imagine just a, a an ethereal sort of uh, magical essence you know entering the the the, the room but um, yeah having her in our ears playing it was unreal or definitely her vocal chops are unparalleled like a total pro yeah insane definitely yeah. Yeah, a special day for sure. Was your was your vision for your for this career that you have, which is just a lovely career? I mean, it really is impressive. Oh, um, what, I mean, it's weird to say. Was this your original vision? It's like, yes, this is exactly how I thought my life would turn out. Um, what was your plan? Like, was or was there a plan when you're fun? You're, you know, at university and when you thought like this is my life beyond? Because for me, I didn't really have a plan. Oh. right and I wish I had one um gotcha. but what about for you um you know it's an interesting question it, it's it all feels really natural and again I kind of lead everything which is gratitude that I get to play this instrument every day but I know that from a young young age like when I first started in in primary school elementary school I was so obsessed with the instrument that that I knew so like I had such conviction that like I knew harp was going to be it for me in some way and I just always had a um a really strong you know just leaning towards the instrument where I couldn't stop like it was I was definitely that kid that um practiced six eight hours a day in high school middle school and um two hours before school four hours six hours absolutely I was obsessed with it and really wow. couldn't get enough and thought that like this is everything I was um still am very very happy to and just elated every day that I get to play this instrument um and so I guess going into university I, I was very classical very very classical um throughout my whole sort of upbringing um very much rooted in that uh, traditional harp standpoint um but always had a really really big love for other genres of music and things like that so I always knew that there was like something you could do on the harp that wasn't just classical and I you know I remember going to different concerts growing up and classical and then pop like you know hearing harp samples being played and being like wait that's what I play like could I do that like what is that you know and just as a young kid being like isn't that the same like so there it can be placed in all different types of worlds and and then of course as I got older and became more exposed to different types of playing and genres and in um uh conservatory I have, was lucky enough to have a lot of professors that 
played and specialized in different sections or, or categories of the harp. So we had like an early harp professor, a jazz harp professor, an orchestral professor. Um, I had a really influential um, uh, improvisation teacher who was a cellist who improv for films and things like that. Um, and my other uh, harp professor was um, the ones that you hear in like Harry Potter. And, um, you know, the, so she would bring in her scores and like how to train your dragon and say, okay, you know, we're all going to sight read this. This is, so she would, I got a lot of exposure, I think, um, in university um, to different realms of playing the instrument. And then, which all kind of absorbed into my psyche and it kind of gave me ideas of where I felt most free, felt most comfortable, felt most, I guess, enchanted within um, finding my, the thing that makes me feel the best when playing. And um, all sort of developed into what I do now, which is just insane exploration where I just like can't get enough of just trying to play the instrument in all different ways that I can and find sounds that inspire uh, me to maybe play different or or maybe have someone, um, experience the harp differently um, than they're used to experiencing. Like that stuff all brings me so much joy. And yeah, so I, I think it's not how, I, I mean, I knew that the harp was what I would be doing. So the long, long answer is, uh, or short answer long would be um, yes and no. I, I definitely knew I was gonna be doing this, but maybe in every aspect of how I do it, maybe not, but I'm grateful for it. Yeah, we talk so much about representation these days about, you know, seeing in an ad someone who looks like you right so you go oh the, and you can identify and have a a different understanding about the world when you can see people that um are representative of your own experience mm -hmm. um that's physical but in terms of which is so important but in terms of hearing of seeing representation hearing representation of people who do what you do out in the world um especially for doing something so specific you must have had a very discerning ear uh, as a young as a young person growing up. And the fact that you were able to identify that and go, oh, that means that there is a path for me um, was very forward thinking of you. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I just I just knew that I that there are other places that the harp could be heard, I guess. And I just had a obsession with how many places you know, this instrument could exist in because um, it's such a magical instrument. I, I always remember as a kid being like, how come there are so many pianos around? We love the piano, but like, where are all the harps? You know, I just felt very yeah. um, like, like a mission, like almost like a very self, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just knew that I needed to get the harp or I wanted to see the harp everywhere um, as common as a piano or as, as, as prevalent as we see pianos out in the world. But I think, um, yeah, the harp is so magical. I just, I really am excited to see it in more places, excited to explore it and 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 push potentially any kind of sonic worlds where you could try to find it in other places or, and I'm really excited to see that happening in so many different genres of music and other artists. And it just feels like a definitely an exciting time to 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 be a harpist and to, to hopefully keep keep pushing the instrument into uh give it a new sonic narrative you know like almost like mainstreaming it yeah and it's so exciting to hear it in so many different places yes definitely definitely 
There are awesome jazz harpists, right? Brandy Younger. Oh my gosh, Mary Lattimore is doing amazing. There's so many, you know, great um, genres and different um, pockets of 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 music that harp is, you know, can I believe can thrive in, and I'm excited to to hopefully, you know, have that be more more prevalent. I mean, every instrument is physical, but the harp seems to me and my limited understanding of it seems like it really is cultivated on like an embrace, like almost like a physical, the physicality mm -hmm. of it. Um, yes. Right. So you're, you're, the music is almost like you and the music are physically collaborating because it seems like it's such a part of part of the body. Yes. That's such a beautiful way to describe it. You are a talented man with words. That is a beautiful way to say that because um, it is very true. It's a, um, it is very much in your body and it does feel like an embrace and it vibrates right on your um your vagus nerve you know like the the one that is like responsible for calming you down and like resetting your central nervous system and things like that so it definitely feels like a very physical um extension you know of the body it's like i always say that it, it feels like it's part of me when i'm playing or even when i'm moving it around people say oh do you need help like to answer your other question about like moving it around like you know, it's like, no, actually I got it because it feels like it's so, so much a part of me and my physicality that it's just like a second limb or something, you know, it's another, it's another part of me. It's an extension of who I am. And, um, and yeah, that's a beautiful way to say it. it's like an embrace and it feels very much um, resonant and at one with, with my physicality. Is it the same yeah. as, as a guitar in, in the sense that the, the fingers have to be almost like you develop like a cow, like a calloused, right? Definitely. Like if you don't play yes. for a couple of weeks, th that would be a problem for your finger. Yes, definitely. Yeah, they sound uneven. They sound, you got to go back to the basics of arpeggios and really building up that finger strength. And you have, um, you know, like little calluses on oh, yeah. fingers. And, um, you know, I could put it on a burner and it would I wouldn't feel anything because it's like that thick, you know? Wow really hot plate <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah but but that is um yeah it just comes with just repetition and and really you know feeling that like you said physicality of the instrument it's 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 part of you it's you know you're plucking the string and it's vibrating and making these these crazy scenarios that I feel yeah like I said really lucky to, to do it's a yeah. weird question but how protective are you of your hands like do you think about that kind of thing Definitely. like you know what I mean? Like we're like an actor would think about their face, like after, you know, yeah. I have a friend who's an actor who's always, you know, you have to kind of keep that stuff in mind. Um, Definitely. How, how protective are you or mindful of your, of your hands? Every day it's a, yeah, I have to very much stay away from things that could potentially um, damage them. But like, you know, I, I, I don't really do too many sports. I, I keep my hobbies very chill. You know, I run, <laughs> but that's okay. It's pretty safe. You know, I don't do too much like skiing or th or any kind of like um, right. things that I could potentially fall and hurt my wrist or um, when I'm cutting, you know, food and cooking, I'm very, very mindful of, of sharp things and very much. Yeah. It's, I keep them pretty protected. Definitely. Yeah. Cause that's, that really is what, right. You'd, you'd have to. Yes. Yes. Uh, cause otherwise, yeah. And especially cause I do write on the instrument. Like that's something that, um, as we touched on earlier, like I feel very much present in my, in my writing at the harp itself. So it's, so if I didn't have, 
this, I would have to, I would, I think it would be very much a challenge for me to not be able to touch the strings when I'm writing or be able to sort of express what I'm really trying to feel. So um, yeah, as I've heard of other musicians like ensuring their hands and, you know, I know like athletes do their, their legs or things like that. Yeah. Um, so I know that's probably in the pipeline at some point, but what about you as a writer? Do you have to, I mean, yeah, you type, right? Type, I mean, yeah. yeah. I tend to write longhand. Um, so, oh, wow. but you know, it's it's one of those things, like I was just interviewing Hallie Spore, who's a beautiful yeah. singer songwriter and she had just broken her wrist. So she yes, I listened play. to that episode. Yes, incredible. And she had to take time off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah couldn't play piano, so she had to sort of pivot and figure out, like, what am I going to do? Um, right. And it got me thinking, like, the vulnerability of an artist, you know, your okay. hands are, they're the key to the craft. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. and as we get a little bit older, it also becomes, it becomes kind of scary. You have to be really, the self-preservation thing just really kicks in at a certain point. Yes. Absolutely. Definitely, definitely very present in my daily life and making sure that I stay healthy and able to create because otherwise, yeah, I, I would be, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to, to perform or to record and definitely right. very special to preserve. Yeah, 100%. But so you let's see, you can, yeah. oh, sorry, well, I was gonna say, let's see if you can guess the two foods that people when they're slicing that they cut themselves on. These are the, the top two. A doctor told me this. So let's see if you can guess. Okay. I might go for my own personal experience and go okay. tomato. <laughs> what you, a bagel? No, tomato. Uh, tomato is number three. Ah, okay. So you're good. Tomato. That's okay. Um, maybe all genres and so not just bad. I'm trying to think what else do you, what else do you cut? uh carrots is the only thing i can think of also from yeah carrots wasn't on there but number two was a bagel a bagel huh okay thing okay and number one this will be great for your next cocktail party this is useless trivia that you know it's i'm fascinated <laughs> number one is an avocado wow i wouldn't have guessed that yeah huh, that's interesting so oh well, for both, I feel like now that you said that, I will go out and buy those two gadgets, you know, like the bagel cutter that you don't actually have to, and then also the um, the avocado slicer. There's that like, also, it's kind of like a knife, but it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I got to go out and get those because I definitely don't want to be <laughs> slicing yeah. my hand. Have somebody else cut the bagels and the avocados. I that's think right. be okay. That's right. Wow. It's, thank you for letting me know that. That's That's fascinating. Yeah, I think a carrot has is not quite as slippery, and you can kind of. So I don't know if it charred it aside, but a tomato has the same kind of, you know, it's sort of slippery like an avocado or. A... Yes, yeah, that's. I I've in the past had minor minor uh, cuts from a tomato, but again, now I've learned and I flip them over. <laughs> <laughs> um, how how hard are you on yourself after a live performance? Do you um, do you think about it after? Do you how do you what's your post game mental sort of walkthrough? Mostly, I try to stay very present in that moment of um, gratitude. It may sound cheesy, but like I really try to just stay with okay, we just did that. 
this was a moment in time. People were there. I feel grateful people were even came. You know, it's, it, I feel very much um, present usually after a performance because I'm concentrating so much when I'm playing. I don't use music. I memorize everything. I memorize all my pieces. Like there's no, wow. you know, so I'm very much in the moment. And I also do a lot of improvisation, which I can't really judge afterwards because I don't have any record of it unless it's recorded or um, don't really have anything to judge it on because it's in that moment and in that moment only, which kind of really makes me feel alive in some ways. And I feel yeah. really excited to create in that way. So, um, but yes, if, if for instance, I was to do a piece I had done many, many, many times and I maybe made a mistake or was, you know, had something that I knew that I could do better. Like it's only natural, I think, to go back and go, darn, you know, if only I would have, you know, played this like this, or, um, sometimes if you slip concentration or like, you know, you notice like, oh, that light's weird over there, you know, and then it's like, oh no, you had a memory lapse and <laughs> you missed a string or something. So those moments I can look back on and, and do like, oh darn, you know, I won't let myself get to distracted or think of, you know, other, th you know, think of things other than the music, but then, um, you know, then there's other times where you can really just sit in the, in the, that magic of being very, very present and knowing that maybe it wasn't perfect, or maybe I could have done it better, or maybe it would have been expressed differently and felt by the audience in a different way. But really, there's, there's only that moment and that moment only to be, you know, aware of. And again, I try to live in that space where if, um, if it's only for that moment, then that's, that's okay. You know what I mean? And you can grow and, and there, I, I had a professor, um, who said, which I think is extremely, I mean, I understand why they said this, but I don't agree a little bit, but you know, you're only as good as your last performance. So mm -hmm. if you like messed up or you, you know what I mean? And I don't think that that's a healthy way for, to define yourself in your, that one moment in your life, you know what I mean? For, um, for this particular circumstance, musically, I'm saying, you know, um, and I, you know, for a while, that's like, you know, in the classical tradition, what you kind of go off on and like you say, okay, this, you know, this, this piece by this composer, you know, Bach, or I played this piece and this person played it differently or better or with less mistakes. Um, and you can really get in your head, like you said, about um, the way that you performed. But I think that's why I, I found a little bit more freedom artistically in writing my own music is because I knew that um, you, it's up to you to express and it's a, there's a magic and a new voice in every moment of creative expression that can come differently from playing somebody else's work. Does that make sense? So like if you were, yeah. if you were writing your own, you know, your own piece or your own, your own novel, your own book, um, you know, lecturing on that or like saying, giving a presentation on what you wrote versus what someone else wrote, do you find more freedom in expressing the things that came from you versus someone else's or analyzing someone else's? Totally. Gotcha. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, That's why I feel. Which makes me think that like doing your own album yeah. is like a totally different experience than being a part of somebody else's, right? That's, right. You're the captain of that ship entirely. Right. Yes. yes. Which exactly. must feel like, like a totally, like you're flexing different muscles. 100%. Yeah, I think there's definitely different muscles to flex 
creatively as an instrumentalist where, you know, whether it's I'm collaborating with someone else, which is also very creative and very free and very, you know, but sometimes not. Sometimes it's, there's music and that you play what's written. Then there's like interpretation of like previous composers like Bach, like I was expressing earlier, or like having things be valued on the accuracy of the of the performance and then there's writing your own and being in a space of your own album and own creation and own uh minds you know what what your mind can conjure musically yourself and um that definitely feels um for me where i feel the most enchantment and expanse um alongside collaboration but um definitely definitely is a different muscle like you said um yeah for writing is it similar where you're you're yeah i mean because I think writing is like similar to composing you're it's the exact same but it's with words or with you know sonic decoration it's this you know yeah. I had um another professor <laughs> say um because when I was speaking of the guitar pedals that really help manipulate the sound of the harp the acoustic body it really changes the the delivery and the in the um interpretation of what you would expect a harp to sound like and um the their their actual physical pedals that you place at the bottom of the harp or you could put them on a stand and you know hit them this way but I use my feet and also with the orchestral harp there's pedals but they are part of the instrument to change like sharp or flat and so I had um someone say like why are you adding new pedals like we already have pedals like there's <laughs> we, we have what we need here and I'm like yes but there's other things to to add in like what if we did this and adding something like technology or like you said a uh, um something to change you know your own the formality I guess of of the instrument or the writing in your case like there if you add in your own voice there's a there's there's something so thrilling in that where it it can really take it to new realms of of possibility and of landscaping you know and where it's where it sits in the landscape of of everything
when I first started playing uh, and, and collaborating um, with technology or different like tape delays, and I was like really, I got so down rabbit holes of you know different tools and things that in technology that you could um, add to the instrument. Uh, it did feel really overwhelming because I was like, whoa, you actually could do anything. Like there are so many possibilities um, that it's it was almost like, how am I going to do this? But then it was like, no, no, it's it's exciting and it's, you know, it's expansive and it's it's totally limitless. And there, I think now that I let go of any idea of formality, you know, like, oh, you can't play with, like, we're not taught not to play with our pinkies, you know, but like, you know, if I need to use a, a little something there, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, not, with of course staying, staying true to my technique, but, um, but, you know, there are ways that maybe you can use your nails in a different spot to, to create a different timbre or um, really add in things that, um, feel more expansive than just what's there. Did you find that when you were listening to music growing up that you would, I don't know why I'm thinking about trip hop for whatever reason, I have no idea why that's on my brain, but if you listen to something like trip hop, which is a fusion of different kinds of music, right? Um, that you could be informed, even though there isn't a harp, yes. that you'd still be informed by the choices that were made by music that was that was blending things together like that? Yes. Definitely. Trip hop is awesome and definitely has tons of influences with, yeah, I've had, I've played in a few things, trip hop things back in London. I remember I was doing some, some recording in, in that genre for a little bit and th there's no limits like to the instrument. I do feel like there are expansive ways to, to, to really express and to include it in different genres like trip hop, like you said, that's, that's amazing. I have no idea why I mentioned trip hop. No, I love that. That's good. Very weird. Um, did you was was graduate school for you London or was that undergraduate? That was undergraduate. I started in um, well as a kid. I went to the Eastman School of Music in uh, New York, um, and then started there, and then transferred over to London at the Royal Ac Royal Academy of Music, um, which is where I've been referencing about different you know genres, and the the program was massive, and so it was not within number but within possibilities. So there were different. Um, uh, yeah, different ways to to really express. And I started working in um, in London in different studios, and I was able to take like an audio engineering class. Where as a classical harpist, that was totally not where I where I expected to be, and you know, totally opened my world to all sorts of amazing possibilities. So, did you find that you're pretty adaptive in terms of like you know, you get to London, you're pretty young. Mm -hmm. Was it like a phone call at home? Like, I'm not sure this I can do this, or did you just completely embrace it? I embraced it. I was like, I remember being in New York, being like, I got in, you know, I need to go. I need to go. There's all these types of harp to play. You know, my parents were like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes, I need to. You know, and it was like one of those like very conviction moments in my life where I was like, that, you know, this is something. Like that. And um, yeah, so I definitely feel like there was a, um, a little culture shock at first, but you know, that's okay. And, but it was very much like, I was really enthralled with how vibrant the city was and the classical music scene is incredible and all other genres of music scene there is incredible. And it really felt um, like quite a creative and um, vibrant city that I, I was so happy to, to be there. 
Yeah. You start playing harp in Hawaii? Is that where you first started? No, actually, once I got to uh, New York, I was doing piano and things in um, in Hawaii. And then once we moved to New York, um, that's when I started playing the harp. It was like my first year in New York. It was like they had a little one in my elementary school. And it was like, um, it was so magic. It was so magical to me. So that's that's where I started playing. The fact that you were at a school where a harp ended up in your hand just yeah. makes me think that your school was awesome. Yeah, you know, that's that's a really good point is that, yeah, I wouldn't have played if there was, I wouldn't have known about the harp. I right. wouldn't have even, I had no idea. Yeah, of course, it wouldn't have ended up in my hands if there wasn't one offered in my school. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a magic thing that happened that I guess everything had to align in order for me to even be exposed to the instrument. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I guess different areas have different, different, um, like priorities on where, you know, sports education or arts education or science or math. I mean, maybe different areas have different trajectories of what they feel is important education, but um, my, yeah, mine happened to have one. And this little town in New York was very much had had a lot of harvests and it was exciting. And I felt like it was a normal thing. And then it wasn't until I got older, where I was like, oh, not, you know, the, there, this area was a little harp centric, but there's, you know, had I not been there, I wouldn't have probably ended up playing. I would have been a flautist or a French hornet. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. What what little town in New York is was so harp centric? Near Buffalo. So a little town called Orchard Park. And it's, um, yeah, I was in the Buffalo Youth Orchestra and, you know, every, the Eastman School of Music pre-college division in Rochester. So it's like upstate. New York, there was like a an enclave of of, of harp education that really was thriving. <laughs> so I wow. feel, yeah, really lucky. I had an incredible teacher growing up who, um, you know, went to Juilliard and learned from this incredible French um, uh, master who his name was Marcel Grandjean. He was like one of the pioneers of like certain harp techniques, and so that was sort of passed down. I feel just it all had to align in order for me to to have the education that I did, and also the the exposure to the instrument in in such a way. So I feel really lucky. But up to that point, it sounds like you were an artist looking for your instrument. I definitely was a really, really musical kid where definitely I was piano, singing, anything that I could get my hands on um, musically I was doing. So that's a good, yeah, that's, that's very true. I think I would have ended up somewhere in the arts had I not seen a harp, but I definitely feel like the harp is where I'm meant to be. Did you come from an artistic family? Is is it like sort of the household pretty artsy? No, actually, both really? my parents are pilots. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, no arts at all. They they are lovers of art, and so I was really exposed to a lot of theater and a lot of um, incredible music growing up. But um, yeah, they they weren't artists themselves, but definitely appreciators of of the arts. If you're in an emotional place, um, whatever whatever the cause may be that you gravitate you start making a beeline for your instrument like that's where you, that's the safe place to go i would say especially if like i i know that i am most creative when i have time and expanse with nothing sort of looming or there's no like i don't have to go anywhere you know it's there's like there's just this space where i have and especially if i'm feeling something um i i definitely sit down 
And even like we were talking about earlier, if nothing comes, that's okay because you're there in that moment processing and um, expressing and just making something that is palpable. And in your case, like, you know, writing something that, right, that probably, like you said, feels like you're doing something in order to process something else. And um, I agree with that. I think that mine's very meditative in that way. Even tuning the instrument, like you have to tune every single string is 47 strings. And um, there's nothing you can do during that time other than really listen and tune into the, you know, the micro tones of of this, each string and have them tuned to each other. And um, so, the, yeah, that definitely helps when you're trying to to, to find tranquility and calmness in, in any type of emotional state or any kind of just processing, you know, anything. Um, it definitely is is very therapeutic, like you mentioned. It's so cool because you've got the harp, which is the terrain in which you dwell artistically, emotionally, physically, like we were saying earlier. Um, you must consider each string as a kind of separate little universe that then can combine with other universes to make something even larger. I know that kind of artistic thinking sounds very granular, and I'm sure it is, but it also must be a kind of safe space. Yeah, each one, you have to be very, very present with it. Um, and then maybe you pluck it when you're, when, you're, when you're tuning and it sounds extra resonant that time, or like maybe you used a part of your finger that made it sound warmer than normal or, or the temperature in the room felt a little bit, it was like a magic sweet spot that it just sort of projected in a different way. And that can sort of bring you into a, a creative space, into a tranquil moment as well. Like you're in your safe zone, like you mentioned. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. And also the mood that you bring to the session, right? So if you're, if you're, you don't seem like someone who has ever mad at anybody, but if you're mad at somebody and you sit down to your instrument, maybe it strikes you a different way. Or if you're particularly thrilled with somebody or with something that's happening, I wonder if the if it sort of presents itself to you in a totally different way. Definitely. I think that's a very, very interesting way to approach um, creativity and expression too musically because when, you know, I always say that like music is how we decorate time, you know, and um, and it makes you feel certain things in certain moments. And, and actually, like you said, when you bring certain emotions and certain feelings to the session or to a, a, a recording or even just exploring a writing session, um, it can definitely express or uh, palpate or what's what I'm looking for. Um, it can definitely feel, uh, you know, different than when I'm losing my words here, but you know what I mean? Like it can, it can definitely ex express and, and project in a different feeling and even a different tone. Like if, like you said, if I'm mad, which I, you're right, I don't really get mad that often, but if, you know, you, the, the tone might be a little bit harsher, you know, or maybe if I'm feeling right. relaxed or, you know, you, you could really like, does that work with language where, you know, if you're angry, do you use more like angular words or things that might feel um, sonically a bit more geometric or how does that work for you i think it can and i and i think that it probably it probably provides a kind of momentum yes. to the narrative yeah that right um i always tell my students that for whatever reason negativity writes better than positivity oh wow you know? and i always say like you know if you don't believe me write a letter to someone that you're mad at and then write oh. a letter to someone that you love and i'll bet you you write more pages about the person you're mad at 
Wow. That right? is very, very fascinating. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you write to someone telling them how much you love them, it'll just sound like 50 Hallmark cards, you know, in a, in a hat that you're pulling out. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you're mad at somebody, I think you're more inventive with your, <laughs> your <laughs> language and your, I mean, so I think negativity probably writes well. I mean, Interesting. I grew up on punk rock. I think that, mm -hmm. I think that there is a sort of the frustration of the, of the punk rock community came out in the music. So yeah anger, frustration um you know the songs were shorter right 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 right. more to the point nope. <laughs> that's a really that's a really really interesting point and I could definitely see that yeah because it'll all I mean I, for me like when I, I I'm a horrible writer but when I like you know with words but I, I was saying like if you were to write something like a really feeling good and you want you love them and you eventually run out of words the sentiments that you can you, you know right. but I feel like yeah if you're angry you can someone should study the brain on that like you know what it, what does it look like when you have those two emotions happening when you're writing you know what parts of your brain do you access more to you know are there is there more things that are I don't know lit up but just, and music, yeah musically I think I think um I don't know if I've ever written from a place of anger. I don't know. I'm going to try it. Maybe next time I'm mad, I'll see what happens. I see definitely, happens. My, yeah, I definitely know that my tone is harsher when I'm feeling upset. So that it, it, it relates physically. You yeah. I mean, how you actually pluck or strike the string can be different based on, you know, how your body language is, what you're feeling. And I'm sure how that, you know, translates to your emotions as well. But do you find that for you as a listener, as you've gotten a little bit older, that you seem like you've always been really open to what you're hearing, but do you find that you're hearing differently than you were, say, 10 years ago or five years ago? I, I think definitely. That's a really interesting point as well. And I was thinking when you were describing your story, I was thinking jazz for me as well. Like I, I studied it growing up and I listened to it a little bit and I was like, I, I get it, but like, nah. I'm like, yeah. But I, I, I just wasn't versed in that language. I would say the language of jazz, like I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I, I enjoyed it and I, and I could play it, but I just didn't really understand. And I'm still learning um, to sit with, but I would say that is one genre where I feel like I, I understand it more as I've aged, like you said, um, where you're just like, oh, okay, no, no, I, I really understand. And I'm, I'm starting to now, like you were mentioning with like the rhythms and the sonically, like, you know, I'm more fascinated by different jazz rhythms or things. And I'm like, before I would have been like, ah, I feel there's polyrhythms. I'm feeling confused. Like how, like from an right. analytical standpoint, like how do I interpret this? But, um, but now as, yeah, as I've gotten older, I, I had a similar experience to you where I do feel like I understand it more and I can sit in it more when before I was like, ah, it's too complicated for me. But now I, I, I kind of embrace the complexity and, um, can in, can sit with it like you said and go aha gorgeous or like what I always thought it was beautiful but I mean just just listen in a new with a new lens I would say yeah if you yeah. hear something like if let's say you walk into a supermarket or you're on hold or you're in someone's car and something's playing can you listen to it as a civilian or, do, or are you always listening to it as a technician, as an artist yourself, and you start picking it apart? Or can you just let it wash over you? Um, that's such a good question. I think both, but I definitely 
tend to analyze it a little bit more, more so not out of like, what is this? What is this? But more out of fascination. Like I'm just fascinated with how things are built um, architecturally in music. I think lately I've been, like I was just mentioning with jazz, like I'm fascinated by it because mm. there's so many other realms of, of, of archi sonic architecture, I mean, of how it's it's built up. And so I do find myself out of pure fascination and like wonderment, you know, going in, in a supermarket going, okay, so this song, oh, like, ooh, how did that make me feel? Why did that make me feel like that? You know, like what, what, what changed within the rhythm and how did that translate, you know, within myself and how I'm feeling? Um, and I also do like the typical music thing where I hear a pitch of like a inanimate object I'm like what note is that you know I can't yeah. like hear an alarm and go the alarm's off I'm like, ah. I'm like okay so that's a you know, which is silly but like we all do it you know but <laughs> but you're a discerning listener I mean I think you're okay. always sort of have that antenna is always tuned to what you're yeah. hearing mostly just because I'm purely fascinated with just just every everything that people create I think now as a as a writer and not just a, a player or a studier of, of of other people's music or you know all these classical tradition you know things that I, that I grew up with like I think now I'm just really really attuned to just learning everything that I can from everyone and how they make things and how again how it makes you feel and why that's really really interesting to me yeah. I think what you do is, I think you're peerless. I think you're just absolutely marvelous. I love your music. I love what you do. And it, I spent so much time with it and just sort of, to me, like the textures, you know, I'm, I'm a lyrics guy. Um, and suddenly I'm noticing things I've never noticed before with your music, the sort of atmospheric, um, the nuances, the richness, the texture. Um, it's complicated and it's beautiful and it's um it just keeps rewarding with each with each to listen it just keeps giving a different gift and wow. um beautifully done oh that's way very very kind I, thank you so much thank you for listening and and for saying that that's extremely kind i i really really appreciate that it's feels so I, I feel so very very lucky to be able to play this instrument and um yeah thank you thank you for for listening that is extremely kind i appreciate it oh yeah and just don't cut any bagels or avocados <laughs> we'll be okay <laughs> same you need your fingers to write and because yeah. <laughs> you yeah. long for right so we need, we need our yes we need our i'm gonna hand. send you an avocado cut or one of those like uh or the bagel thing <laughs> yeah but it's but you probably you probably won't look at a bagel or an avocado the same way nope. they're almost like oppositional now oh yes that's very true. I, they definitely will, will always be, I'll, I'll approach them with a little bit of trepidation from now on. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. If you're like, I'm in the mood for a bagel with some avocado on it. It's like danger, danger. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. hundred percent won't be doing any cutting of those soon, but I will definitely be sending you those cutters because we got to protect our hands. That's for sure. We got to protect our hands. Uh, <laughs> you way more than me, but yes. Um, I'm so grateful for your time. I'm grateful for what you do. Likewise. Um, and I hope you'll come back on the show and, and chat again. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. And I love your show. I love what you do. I think that, I mean, just everything is so amazing. I was enjoying the podcast and I I've been listening for a while and I feel really, really grateful and, and honored to be a part of today's show. And thank you so much for everything you do and for having me on it.
Isn't she the best? Laura Samoji. I just love that conversation. I love her music. The exclamation mark album, the expanded edition. It's out now. Get it. I've listened to it hundreds of times here at the studio. And every single time something new happens. I, I learn something new. I hear something new. I feel something new. Do yourself a favor and pick it up, larasemoji.com, that's L-A-R-A-S-M-O-G-Y-I.com. Pick up the album. You will not regret it. You're going to love it so much, you're going to buy 10 copies for 10 of your friends. You don't have 10 friends, you only have 9, buy an extra copy, meet someone new, and you'll have a gift to give them. Bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station. Check me out at Alex Green Books. You can also find me on what's left of Twitter at Embers Editor or on Instagram at Embers Podcast or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review all these things we're asking you to do, but we'd really appreciate it so, so much. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Laura Samoji's cover of Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio.